join me in turning to the book of Daniel this morning. The book of Daniel. Daniel in chapter 3, and I might take a few more drinks of water than normal this morning just to clear my throat. Daniel chapter 3, throughout the centuries, uh, men and women have done things or chosen to obey God in things when it didn't make sense to do so. People that have faith in God, understanding that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. That's from Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 goes on to say in verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That means that you have to believe that God is who he says he is. It means that you have to believe that God is love when he says he's love. It means that you need to believe that God is serious about sin when he says he's serious about sin. It means you need to believe that God is faithful when he says that he is faithful and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Uh, all throughout Hebrews chapter 11, you're probably familiar with the hall of faith. That's what the chapter is called. Noah was moved with fear, meaning that he was moving quickly in obedience to God's command to prepare an ark. And the entire world, the entire community that he lived in was laughing and mocking at him, building this boat and saying, Noah, I don't see any rain coming. Why are you building this boat? hundred years later, why are you still building this boat? You've got your sons involved now. Well, what are you, what are you teaching your kids? And Noah was moving with faith towards God and what God had told him, and it did come true. Abraham was called out to go into a place that he didn't know that it should be as his inheritance. And he went and he stepped out by faith and he obeyed God. And God granted him a multitude. It just, it's his generation would, would be as the sand of the sea and the stars of the sky. Going away from Hebrews chapter 11 just into the broader aspects of the Bible, one of the characters that I'm drawn to when I think about faith is Elijah. Now, can you imagine as a prophet of God being told of God, go tell the king, go tell King Ahab, by the way, the, the king that hates you, go tell him that he's going to experience a famine like he's never seen before because it's not going to rain for three and a half years. Can you imagine being told by God? To, and, and he goes and he tells the king that. And, and he goes on and, and even challenges the king on Mount Carmel that God is who he says he is. Amos. Amos is a, is a prophet in the Bible, maybe a little less known character to you, but he's one of my favorite. Most of the, of the book of Amos is Amos's messages to the children of Israel and, and messages that God gave him. But you get to the end of the book of Amos and you find this little passage of narrative and, and, and Amaziah, this priest that's supposed to be a priest of God, comes to Amos and he says, you're preaching in the king's court. You're preaching against the king of Israel. You can't do that here. And Amos stands up to him and he says, don't tell me that I can't do this here. This is what God told me to do. Amos was a shepherd. Amos was a nobody. 
Amos was a picker of sycamore fruit, and he said, I wasn't a prophet. My dad wasn't a prophet. God called me out of, out of what I was doing. I was just a shepherd. I was a lowly shepherd. God took me, and he placed me in this place to preach this message, and you had better listen. You may think to yourself, man, all those decisions that those people made, all those decisions that these men in the Bible made, that must have been hard for them. That must have been really, really hard. He was called the fastest man in Scotland. As he graduated from high school and entered into college in the early 1920s, Eric Little was known as a great athlete. In fact, he was so fast that he was chosen by his country, Scotland, to represent them in the 1924 Olympic Games in Paris, France. Eric had signed up for the 100 meters, and he was the favorite to win that race. He and another man from Great Britain had raced each other several times, and they, those two, it was, it was going to be close. <clears throat> those two men were the favorites for the gold and the silver medals in the Olympic Games. Now, although Eric Little was a, a tremendous Olympic athlete, there was something else that was much more important to Eric than a gold medal, and that was his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Eric Little, as he came and he entered and he registered for those games, uh, being sent by his country, arrived in Paris the, the summer of 1924, only to find out that the, heated, uh, that the heats or the, or the time trials that he was going to be entering, uh, they, they took place on a Sunday. His race, the 100-meter dash, took place on a Sunday. And as they were going to take place on a Sunday, Eric had a conviction that far too few Christians have today. And that was that nothing took the place of church on Sunday. Nothing took the place of being with God's people on a Sunday. Eric, under the face of extraordinary pressure, and his coach and really his country breathing down his neck, he chose to drop out of the 100-meter dash in favor of attending the Lord's house on Sunday in the middle of the Olympic Games. And Eric Little was forced out of that 100-meter dash. His coach, on the other hand, said, why don't you sign up for the 400 meters? Now, the 400-meter dash, it was literally four times the amount of, of time running. That, uh, a 100-meter dash might take you 10 or 11 seconds, a 400-meter dash will take you over 40 seconds. That is if you are an Olympic athlete. It might take you longer if you're not. Okay, but, but Eric was literally doing something that he was not qualified to do, and he was not trained to do. He was not trained to be that much of an endurance runner. <clears throat> Everybody in the world knew what Eric Little had chosen to do. Uh, the, the, the press got on it, uh, the, the, the newspapers abounded, and Eric Little, as he stood up that next week, and as he walked into the, the starting blocks of the 400-meter dash, it was no surprise to anybody what he had done, and needless to say, the entire world was watching to see what the outcome would be. As Li Eric Little was warming up for that 400-meter dash, an unknown man stepped from the sideline, came up to him, handed him a piece of paper, and walked away without saying a word. And before Eric 
took off in that race that day, he opened up the piece of paper where a Bible verse was quoted from 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 30 that says, Them that honor me will I honor. And 47 seconds later, that prophecy was fulfilled. As he crossed the finish line first and took home the gold medal in the 400-meter dash of the 1924 Olympics in Paris, France. You say, my friend, you, you might say, that, that's, that's extreme. Why would he do that? Why, it, was, it was just a Sunday. Why did he choose to sk skip the Olympic Games, the, the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity probably, to go to, a, to church on Sunday? And wasn't that hard? Wasn't that, wasn't that something that was out, out of, I mean, doesn't God understand? Doesn't God make exceptions for stuff like that? It was one Sunday. You may think to yourself, that must have been extremely hard for Eric to do, to say no to the Olympic Games. But I want to suggest to you this morning, as we look into God's Word, in the book of Daniel and two other passages that we'll look at this morning, I want to suggest to you it is easier to say no to disobedience when you have a greater yes burning inside of you. It is easier to say no when you have a greater yes burning inside of you. And this man, Eric Little, didn't stop there. Went on for 18 years and served as a missionary in China. Later on, died from a brain tumor in that country at the age of 43. He spent his life giving back to the God who gave his life for him. And if you were to set Eric Little up this morning on this stage, 80 years later after the fact, I'm convinced he would say something like, it's a whole lot easier to say no when you've already said yes to God. When you've already said yes, when you have a relationship with him, it's not an accident that Eric Little was intentional with his obedience towards God. You know, we're intentional with our obedience uh, towards, uh, in ways in our life, okay, you think about it, driving to work, okay? Some of you are retired, so this wouldn't apply to you, but, but you remember having to get up at a certain time, having to intentionally go out and start the car, having to intentionally, in your mind, I've got to be to work at this time, otherwise I'm going to get fired, okay? You were intentional about it. For those of us with kids, training your children, is an intentional thing that we, we, we think about each day. Kids don't learn character or godliness by accident. We train them up with intention, we, with the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. We're intentional in our obedience towards the Lord to teach them the Word of God every single day. I remember the example of my father. My father would get up every single day at 5 o'clock, and I would see him, I'd, I'd come out to get a drink of water because I wanted to get out of bed early, okay? And, and so I'd, I'd get up and I'd come out of bed and I would see him in the living room on his knees praying because he wanted to get alone with God before the kids got up, before the day got started. And he, that was his way of getting alone with God. For you, it might not be at 5 a.m. For you, it may be at 2 p.m. some other time during the day, but are you intentional with, with your relationship with the Lord. We're going to learn just from a di few different Bible examples 
how it is that we can be intentional with our obedience towards God. And we're going to start right here in Daniel chapter 3. But before we do, let's just ask the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts this morning. Let's pray. Father, would you uh, speak to us? And Lord, just even as you've already spoken to me, Lord, would you, would you work on my heart this morning and uh, really teach us, Lord, how to take steps of obedience? And Lord, would you reveal? Lord, I can't reveal anything. Holy Spirit, you have to be the revealer. And so, Lord, would you pull down in the window shades of our mind, or would you show us where we haven't been obedient and where you want to love us back to you? Or we trust you to do that this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Starting in Daniel chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. And he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes and the governors and the captains and the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes and the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then an herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth not the not, worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. So if you get the picture here. Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you probably know the story well, but they've already seen a lot of things to this point. As Hebrew children, they were taken from their homes and, and, and from their cities and brought to this city of Babylon, one of the most, probably most beautiful places in the world, where one where one of the seven wonders of the world was, the, the, the hanging gardens of Babylon. And they'd seen God to this point deliver several different times. You remember back in chapter 1, they were supposed to eat of the portion of the king's meat. It was probably sacrificed to idols and with the wine which he drank. And they said, no, we're, we're not going to do that. That's, God commanded us not to do that. And they said, could we have some vegetables and water? Okay, not normally the diet that's going to make you strong and healthy, okay? And they said, well, could you give that to us for 10 days? And they tried them out. They said, okay, fine, you know, we can, we can do that. And at the end of 10 days, they were healthier, stronger, had more muscle on their body than all the other guys that were eating the meat. Miracle. Uh, because they chose to take a step and obey God. Then in chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 2, we see Daniel gets this message that the king has had a dream. And he wants, it's, it's a troubling dream. He doesn't even remember the dream. And he says, I want someone to tell me what the dream was, and I want someone to tell me the interpretation. If no one can do it, you all are losing your head. And so Daniel comes back. He says, guys, this is the problem here. we got to pray about this. And so they get on their face before God, and they seek him all night long. 
And at the end of that time, God says, I'm going to show you the interpretation. And Daniel walks in, tells him the interpretation of the, his dream, what it was, and the interpretation. And the king says, yes, that's exactly what it was. And God shows up again in their lives. And now we see here, their, their, their necks are on the line. The king has set up this great image, huge image. And they're supposed to fall down and worship him. Will they obey? And the first thing that I want us to see here this morning, that intentional obedience flows from a relationship with God. Intentional obedience. Uh, any of the, like I said before, any of the guys that, that have, have done anything great for God, a Shubal Stearns, who planted churches all across America and saw, saw several things happen in his lifetime, he, never, he didn't do that without first having a relationship with God and intending to do something for God. Intentional obedience flows from a relationship with God. These three Hebrew children had a relationship that, that, that obedience flowed out of. They, they knew their God. They knew who he was. And if you, don't, if you don't know God this morning, you won't really care or want to obey God because that's not, that's not what your life is about. God wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to, he wants to show you how much he loves you so that you can, can you, you can come into union with that relationship with him. Your relationship with God doesn't start in heaven. Your relationship with God starts right now. If you're a saved and you've had your sins washed away, God wants to love you and to show you his plan for your life, and he wants to show you how much, how much more your life can be right here on earth, before you get to heaven. You won't be able to take a stand unless you have that kind of a relationship with God. It wasn't just their parents' belief. It wasn't just something that they grew up with their Jewish traditions. It was that they knew their God, and they knew that their God was the God. You think about Daniel. He prayed, it was said that he prayed three times a day. I don't think that was at breakfast, lunch, and dinner, okay? It wasn't just a short little, Lord, thank you for the food. No, he took time with his God. I don't know how much time you get during the day, but I'm saying how much time do you spend cultivating that relationship with God? How much time do you spend talking with him and cultivating that relationship that you so desperately need? Your kids are not going to accidentally turn out serving God your prayer life doesn't just fix itself. Time meditating on God's word doesn't just fall out of the sky. As, and God's priorities don't just become our priorities naturally without seeking God. And what we need as a church this year and for the rest of our lives is a godly intention that drives us closer to the Savior and what he wants for us. And every man or woman has done anything great for God intended first to have a relationship with the Almighty God and what he could do from, for them. And everything else, all of their obedience, flowed out of that. Verse 15 in uh, Daniel chapter 3 now, move down and we see these men's response. Now if ye be ready, at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made. 
Well, but if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? See, see, Nebuchadnezzar had already given them a chance. And at that moment, they said, no, we're not going to do it. He brings them in and he says, hey, let me tell you how serious this is. And if you don't, this is what's going to happen to you. I'm going to give you a second chance, trying to be a nice guy here. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they say in verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said unto the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful. In other words, we're not, we're not, we're not, uh, we're not going to hold back our answer to you to answer thee in this matter. Verse 17, If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, doesn't matter if God's going to spare us from the flames or not here, but if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Look down to verse 21. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, their hats, and their other garments, and they were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because of the king's commandment was urgent, and the furnace was exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew the men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These, these soldiers that were told to thrust them into the furnace, it was torched so hot, seven times hotter than normal, these men that were throwing them in immediately perished. And then we get to see God work. And these three men, verse 23, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. It's said in, in those times the, fires, the, the fire, the way it was built, was that there was a drop-off, that you would literally drop them into the furnace down below. And those flames were so high that those men perished and they fell down into this, this lower furnace where the king would then watch. Verse 24, Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? thought maybe he had lost one of his own men. And he said, Wait. Uh, the, the men said, They answered and said unto, thee, uh, unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Jesus was with them in the midst of the furnace because they chose to obey. These men knew their God, and they knew what their God could do because they had a relationship that their obedience flowed out of. Do you take time? Do you take time to get to know your God? Do you know his personality? Do you know how he speaks towards you? Or have you just been existing these past few weeks? God's vision for you is to be intentional about your time with the Father. Without God's word in our lives, without spending time getting to know God, you're going to be subject to your feelings. And you're going to be wished back and forth. And, and, and you're going to end up following your feelings. Without God's word... We have a warped view of, of what is really important. Many times we, if, we're, if we're not focusing on God's word, we think, oh, this over here, this is, this is what I really should be doing. This is, this, is, this is what's really important. And God may say something different. But we wouldn't know because we didn't spend time with him. 
God, God wants us to know what is really his priority. Without God's word, we don't have God's heart. We don't have God's heart. It wasn't hard for the Hebrew children to say no because they had a greater yes burning on the inside of them. They already had God's heart. And that moves us to our second passage of Scripture this morning, Psalm chapter 19. If you turn there with me, Psalms chapter 19. Intentional obedience flows from a relationship with God. Secondly, intentional obedience flows from catching the Father's heart for you. Intentional obedience flows from catching the Father's heart for you. David was known as a man after God's own heart. Even in 1 Samuel 13, the passage that we read a couple Wednesdays ago, in the correspondence between Samuel and Saul, Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly, thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord, which he commanded thee. For now the Lord would have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever, but now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, that was David. And we know all throughout the Psalms, David is constantly, constantly seeking the Lord. Even in the midst of trouble, people attacking him, the uh, wiles of the devil all around him, he says, Lord, I want your heart. And here in Psalm chapter 19, we find in verse 7, he's seeking after the word of the Lord. The law of the Lord is perfect. Verse 7, converting the soul... The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. And then down in verse 14, if, if you get anything from his heart, if, 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 if anything speaks loudly, it's, it's his heart to catch the Father's heart. Verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. And here David just pours out his heart to God and says, God, I really want your heart. I'm seeking to obey you. I want to catch your heart for me. Let, my, let the meditation of my heart, the words that come out of my mouth, let them be acceptable to you. And he's saying all of this is more to be desired than gold. And people are all about gold today. They're all about investments. They're all about the stock market. All about everything going well for them. And he says, all of that, toss it all away. I want God's heart. I want God to be pleased with me. I want the words of God in my heart. We got a dog several weeks ago, and her name is Sapphire. And it's been a joy training her over the last few weeks. She's now 12 weeks old. And uh, I, last week, before we left for Pennsylvania, I was training her to go into her kennel. And that got to be a taxing uh, thing, because there would be times where she just would not, she would just not listen. She knew exactly what I was saying but she would uh, go off and eat or take a drink of water. And she knew if she tried to stall long enough, maybe I would just go away and forget about what I commanded her to do. And, uh, and uh, so we got to a point where you know, I, I, I taught her how through much discipline and everything. 
And the following day, I was expecting another battle. And so immediately I said, Sapphire, kennel, kennel. And uh, uh, she, she, she went right in in the morning. In the afternoon, she was out. She was playing around. I was, I was doing some study. And I had to go downstairs because I was about to, to measure something in our front room for, uh, for a gate. And so I went down to get my tape measure out of my, out of my uh, bag of tools. And so immediately I went down there, and she followed me down. That's where her kennel was. And she followed me down there, and she sat right by her kennel. She thought I was going to command her to go in. I wasn't time for her to go in there. But that was, she automatically knew, she, she, was, she was sensing, she was, she was trying to catch my heart. Is it time to go in here? Mm-hmm. Now, granted, as a dog, she just, maybe she, was, she didn't want to get disciplined again. I don't know. But whatever it was, she, she immediately bolted for her kennel, and she sat right next to it waiting for the command. I want to say this morning, obviously, we're not dogs, okay? And the Lord is not... A, a master that's trying to train us. Jesus Christ is the good master, and we are his sheep. And Jesus is saying, I want obedience, and obedience should flow out of more, more, more than a heart of, I don't want to get disciplined by God. It should flow out of a love for God and a want to know our God's heart, our Father's heart. And if we're struggling with saying yes to God, if it seems hard to obey the things that God is telling us to do, it's not because we don't have a loving master. It's not because we don't have a loving God. It's because we don't have a heart that wants to catch the heart of my Father. It's, it's because I don't have a heart that's willing to catch what He wants for me. And just like Sapphire wanted to catch my heart, intentional obedience flows from a relationship with God. Intentional obedience flows from catching the Father's heart for you. And lastly, intentional obedience doesn't limit God. Intentional obedience doesn't limit God. Turn to 1 Chronicles 21. 1 Chronicles 21. This is more of a topical message here this morning, so I'm having you flip to a couple different passages, but I promise you this is the last one. First Chronicles chapter 21, David, uh, earlier in the chapter, he has just sinned against the Lord in numbering the, the, the people of Israel, and God told David that he would punish the nation. But he gave David three choices. And in verse 12 of chapter 21, 1 Chronicles 21, I'll give you just a second to get there. That's a little bit more of a difficult book to find. 1 Chronicles 21 and verse 12, it says, Either, God is talking to David, giving him these three options, either three years famine, so three years, no one's going to have any food, or three months to be destroyed before you, thy foes, your enemies, with, while, the, while that the sword of thine enemies overtake thee, or else three days the sword of the Lord, even the pestilence in the land, the, and the angel of the Lord destroying through all the coasts of Israel, now therefore advise thyself what word I shall bring again to him that sent me. And David said unto Gad, I am in a great strait. Let me, now, uh, let me fall now into the hand of the Lord, for very great are his mercies. But let me not fall into the hand of men. David knew <coughs> the Lord was holy. 
And the Lord would not, would not uh, uh, let sin go. The Lord had to punish sin. And God had given him three choices. Either three years of, 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 of famine, three months of being destroyed by his enemies, or three days into the hand of the Lord. And he's like, I don't want the famine. I don't want to be, to be uh, bullied by my enemies. Give me the Lord because I know God is merciful. Because I know I have, I know who my God is. David knew the Lord, even in his sin. Even when he sinned uh, against the Lord in numbering the people, even when he sinned against the Lord uh, with Bathsheba, all of those things, he knew his God was love and his God was mercy. And he could call on the Lord. And in his obedience towards the Lord, he said, Give me the Lord and I will do whatever the Lord says. So the Lord tells him what to do in verse 18. It says, the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and set up an altar, on the, uh, altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. And David went up at the saying of Gad, which he spake in the name of the Lord. So he was supposed to go up and, and to this man Ornan and, and buy a threshing floor so that he could offer a sacrifice. And this is where we're introduced to a man in the Bible, maybe that you're not more familiar with, his name is Ornan. And this was a man that in, was intentionally obedient to God by not limiting what God could have from him. By not limiting what God could have of him. Here in verse 20, we see that an angel appears to him. Look at verse 20 with me. And Ornan turned back and saw the angel of the Lord. And his four sons with him hid, him hid themselves. Now Ornan was threshing wheat. And David came to Ornan. Ornan looked and saw David and went out of the threshing floor and bowed himself to David with his face to the ground. And David said to Ornan, Grant me the place of this threshing floor, that I may build an altar therein unto the Lord. Thou shalt grant it to me for the full price that the plague may be stayed from the people. And Ornan said unto David, Take it to thee. You get the picture here. We'll read the rest of that verse in just a second. David knew that, that, that in order for this plague to be stayed, he needed to offer a sacrifice of a perfect lamb before the Lord as covering for the sin of the people. He said, I need to get this threshing floor that God has commanded me to get. And he comes into this man's driveway, and he says, I need this threshing floor to you, from you. And here's his response. Ornan said to David, Take it to thee, and let my lord, the king, do that which is good in his eyes. Lo, I give thee the oxen also for the burnt offerings, the threshing instruments for, the, for wood, and the wheat for the meat offering. I give it all. He said, I don't want you to pay for it, king. Now, the king ended up paying for it in the end. He, he, he said, I'm going to pay full price. Don't, I'm, not, I'm not going off cheap here. But he says, I don't care what you need, king. There are people that are dying on our watch. There are people that are going to die if, if this sacrifice doesn't take place. I'm not going to give you the, the threshing floor a month from now. I'm not going to give it to you a year from now. I'm going to give it to you now. Right now, as you're asking, and I'm not going to hold back anything else. If you, need, if you need oxen for the sacrifices, take it. If you need instruments, take it. I give it all. And too often, when it comes to obedience to God, we know the thing that needs to be done. We already, God has already shown us in our life 
what needs to be done, and that was our, that, that's that step of obedience that he wants us to take. And too often in our life we say, no, that's okay, I, you can have part of that, but, but, but I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not going there. It, we're not in the dark about what God wants us to do. God has put it right in front of us. Just as, as, as David, just as clear as David was on the doorstep of Ornan there, and, and Ornan knew exactly what God needed to do, he didn't hold back anything else. He knew, he knew God's will for him was to give him that. And, and Ornan was not thinking about whether it was a good idea to sell the piece of land to the king for a sacrifice that would save Israel. In fact, he said, I give it all. I surrender it all. Take all of it. I don't want it. You can have it. I don't want the worth of, of what this threshing floor could get me in the short term when tons of people are dying. I think, what, what, what is God telling you to do? What has God told you to do that's keeping back his presence from someone who needs him? What, what is God telling you to do this year where you need to say, take it to thee, I give it all. I don't, I don't want any of it. And the reason Warren could say with ease, take it to thee, I give it all, was because... He had a greater yes burning on the inside of him. Father, we ask you this morning, Lord, just with the simplicity of these three examples of Scripture, or would you burn a yes towards God on the inside of each one of us?